Are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three separate gods? Does Christianity promote tritheism? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, June the 25th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to everybody. And if this is your first time joining us, especially welcome to you. We're glad to have you here and joining in in our study on the essentials. And today we're going to be going over the Trinity. That's the second essential doctrine that we're going to be going over. Of course, last week we covered the oneness of God, the fact that there's not many gods, but that there is only one God. But that leads us to ask the question, how does that one God exist when the Bible speaks about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So that's what we're going to be covering today. And of course, this series, once again, like I told you last week, uh, is based on the book Conviction Without Compromise by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes. And these are both teachers that I have personally learned directly under. Uh, I've been in there to ask the questions and everything. And uh, this book just it, it covers so much that they teach in their classes. I can't uh, encourage you strongly enough to pick up a copy of this book. And if you're interested in some of the other books that we recommend on BibleStudyPodcast.org, you can go to our website, and on the right-hand side, you'll find a recommended reading link. And that'll take you to a list of books that we recommend, and you can actually order them uh, from Amazon right through our website, if that's something that you're interested in. And Conviction Without Compromise, this book that we're basing this study on, is not number one on that list. So if this is a study that you're uh, that you're interested in, this is definitely a book that you should pick up. This is probably the best book I've ever read on the subject, and most comprehensive. It's got really, uh, it really covers all the bases. So I would definitely recommend this book. And like I said, uh, I'm going to be covering the topics that they discuss in here, but I'm not going to be nearly as detailed or nearly as thorough as they are. So There will be times when I present things that they don't talk about, and there will be even more times when they cover things that I don't talk about in the podcast. So if this is something that you're particularly interested in, what we're doing here is uh, defining the, the essentials of Christianity. And if this is something that you're interested in, then you're at the right place. So... Anyway, one of the most confusing doctrines of Christianity is the second doctrine that we're going to be covering, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, This confuses a lot of people. Christians have been accused by non-Christians of being tritheists. A tritheist is uh, tri, which is three. Theist is God. So basically, we're being accused of believing in three gods. And that's what we're accused of by uh, by various cults, by other religions. But the thing is, we don't believe that there are three gods. As we covered last week, Christianity maintains that there is only one God, the great Shema of Israel. Shema, O Israel, listen, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one. So, as we discussed last week, uh, we affirm that God is three persons consisting of one substance, one nature, and one essence. Now, 
A Muslim, for example, in response, would typically say that this is contradictory, it, that it's illogical and it contradicts itself. But that's not true, because if we were to say that God is one person and three persons simultaneously, well, that doesn't make any sense. That is illogical. That is a contradiction. But to say that there is one God that there and that there are three persons uh, is not a contradiction, because these are two different things that we're talking about. Uh, it might be something of a mystery to an extent, but it's not a logical contradiction. It's only a contradiction to affirm that something is or uh, or has a certain quality and to, at the same time and in the same sense, deny that quality or the same thing in the same simultaneous sense. So, Another objection to the Trinity that you might hear is that you don't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. And this is true. We can't deny this. This is true. You won't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. Uh, However, the concept is what we're concerned with. The concept of the Trinity is taught throughout the Bible, from the front page to the back page. It's just like the Bible never explicitly says that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But, you know, if you look at the Bible, this set of beliefs is consistently taught in Scripture. So the fact that the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture is really just a smokescreen tactic of argumentation. And we respond to this objection by asserting that the concept of the Trinity is found throughout Scripture. Well, one theologian puts it this way. He says, if I believe everything the Bible says about topic X, so that is whatever topic you want to insert in there for topic X, and use a term not found in the Bible to describe the full teaching of Scripture on that point, am I not being more truthful to the Word than someone who limits themselves to only biblical terms but rejects some aspect of God's revelation? End quote. And I think that pretty much sums it up. That pretty much says it all. The Bible does indeed teach that God exists as a divine trinity of three persons who are of one nature and one substance and one essence. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three persons united as a God of one substance, nature, and essence. We're going to be drilling that point home, so so hopefully by the end of this lesson you will have that much down. But another objection that we'll look at here is the objection that the Trinity is only taught in the New Testament. Some people accuse the the early church of having either invented this concept or they'll accuse Christians of misunderstanding what is being taught in the Bible. However, the concept of the Trinity appears in both the Old and New Testaments, and it's taught very, very clearly. So let's have a look at where the doctrine of the Trinity can be found in both, starting with the Old Testament. So starting with the Old Testament, we find the Trinity implied in Psalm 110, verse 1, for example. In this verse, we read, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Well, if we look at this verse... Obviously, it would be a logical contradiction to us to think of someone sitting at their own right hand. You know, every time I try to sit at my own right hand, I find that I can still move further to the right, uh, to infinity. So it's impossible for me to sit at my own right hand since I am to the left of my right hand. But in this verse, if we look at the Hebrew text, we would read, Yahweh said unto Adon, or Adonai, sit at my right hand. Now, this is clearly an example of an interpersonal dialogue between the persons of the Trinity. It's a dialogue between the Father 
and the Son. We also find the Trinity in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. In verse 2, we read that the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush. And this is a passage that we're all familiar with, but it's the angel of the Lord that appears in the burning bush, and the fire, of course, isn't consuming the bush. Then uh, we move down to verse 4, and in verse 4, the text tells us that God God called to Moses from the midst of the burning bush. So first it tells us that the angel of the Lord is in the burning bush, and then the angel of the Lord is referred to as God. And then in verse 6, going down to verse 6, we learn that this is the same God who's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, it's clear that there's a distinction between the person of God the Father and the person of God the Son. And God the Son, of course, was commonly referred to as the angel of the Lord. And in a lot of places where you find the angel of the Lord, it's actually referring to the pre-incarnate, that is, uh, the time before Jesus became flesh. Call it the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, But it's clear that the angel of the Lord, that is, the messenger of the Lord, is none other than God himself. So that's another example of the Trinity being taught in the Old Testament. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, we read, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. So there's a clear implication here of God consisting of more than one person. So we've seen several passages here which support the personal distinctions of God the Father and God the Son in the Old Testament. But what about the Holy Spirit? We find the first reference to the Holy Spirit actually in the second verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 we read, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, some people might uh, read this and object to an interpretation of this being the Holy Spirit, since the word spirit can also be translated as breath. However, in response, breath isn't something that would you know that we would say moves. So it, uh, it seems pretty clear that there is a voluntary movement being made by the Spirit of God over the waters of the earth in this verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And then in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 10, we find yet another reference to the full trinity. This is actually a reference to the full trinity. It says, quote, I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Again, this is the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 10. So if you want to go back and look that up in your own Bible, you know, by all means, take the time to go do that. But here we have references to God the Father, that's in verse 7. We have a reference to to God the Son as the angel of his presence in verse 9, and we have a reference to God the Holy Spirit in verse 10. And further, let's absolutely not overlook the fact that verse 8 tells us that God became their Savior, and then verse 9 tells us that the angel of God's presence saved them. 
You know, this isn't a contradiction or a misinterpretation. This is clearly the doctrine of the Trinity being taught in the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament also unfolds this doctrine even further and is full of references to the Trinity. I mean, you can't miss references to the Holy Spirit if you read through the New Testament. Uh, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that he's been sent forth by both Jesus and God the Father. He also wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, these verses are teaching that God is more than one person. Of course, prior to uh, to his crucifixion, Jesus also promised to send the Holy Spirit, who would guide the disciples into truth. That's from John chapter 16, verse 13. And the disciples recognized that the Holy Spirit was another divine person who is distinct from God the Father and God the Son. Yet, the Holy Spirit was God in the same sense. The, the apostles, the disciples, they knew this. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, Peter says to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he follows that up by saying in the next verse, you have not lied to men, but to God. So clearly he says you've lied to the Holy Spirit, who is God. That's that's the insinuation there. It's, it's clear as day. So that's one uh, very clear reference to the Holy Spirit being one of the persons of the Trinity. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on all of this because uh, there's plenty of support throughout the whole Bible, and we still have a little bit more to cover. But, you know, if you turn to just the first chapter of First Thessalonians, for example, and you read through that chapter, it's, it's not a long chapter. I think it's 17 verses or something like that. It's not very long. But you'll find references to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all in the first chapter of First Thessalonians. It's all there. So it's unquestionably taught throughout the New Testament, but we can also see that it's taught from the very beginning of the Old Testament as well. So the Trinity is not just a New Testament doctrine. It's in the Old Testament as well. It's clearly taught in both, and it's clear that there are three persons in the Trinity. Now, as I've said throughout this series, I'm, I'm not covering these doctrines nearly as thoroughly as uh, Norman Geisler and Ron Rhodes do in Conviction Without Compromise. But, you know, you'll find dozens more examples of the Trinity being taught in both the Old Testament and the New Testaments in that book, if that's a book that you have or if it's a book that you want to pick up to research this uh, this topic further. But as I said, you know, the Trinity is actually something of a mystery, but it's it's certainly taught in the Bible. Because it's something of a mystery, though. People have a tendency to look for uh, for practical illustrations or practical ways of, of illustrating the Trinity. So before we close, I want to talk about some of the things that people use to describe what the Trinity is like or to illustrate the Trinity. And, and while I realize that these examples aren't meant to be heretical, you know, they're meant to convey the concept of the Trinity in a practical way that we can understand with our finite minds. But uh, we need to discuss some of the problems with some of the more common illustrations and find illustrations that are effective in trying to uh, to convey the the concept of the Trinity and to understand the Trinity. So the first bad example of an illustration of the Trinity is water. And I can remember somebody telling me once that uh, the Trinity is like water because water can be ice or water can be steam or or vapor or water can be liquid. Now, there are three states there. Uh, So is that comparable to God? Can we compare that to God? Well, Actually, no, we can't. This is actually a heresy called modalism, which asserts that God is uh, manifested or, or, or demonstrated in different modes. 
the Father is one mode of God, the Son is another mode of God, and the Holy Spirit is another mode of God. That's called modalism, and it's a heresy. And the reason that this uh, that this illustration fails is because water can't be uh, ice, steam, and liquid simultaneously. Yet God exists as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit simultaneously. So there, there's definitely a big difference between the Trinity as it's communicated in Scripture and water and the three states of water that are possible. Um, and this illustration uh, that I'm that I'm going to give you next isn't addressed in the book, but uh, I'll give it to you guys anyway, free of charge, uh, just out of the kindness of my heart. But another example is uh, an egg. And people will say that an egg is like the Trinity because you have the shell of an egg, you have the white of an egg, and you have the yolk of an egg. Uh, and while the intentions are, are good, this too is a heretical illustration of the Trinity because the shell, the white, and the yolk of an egg are actually three separate and distinct parts. And you wouldn't say that any one of those parts in and of itself is an egg, uh, but you'd say that they are parts of the egg. God, however, doesn't have parts. So this illustration actually teaches tritheism. It's teaching uh, that there are three gods that are separate from each other. And that's not what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches. So this illustration doesn't really work either. And a final illustration that uh, that's pretty common and that I, I've come across is that the, the Trinity is like a three-link chain. That is, you have three links in a chain, but those three links, uh, when you put them all together, they compose one chain. But Again, uh, and hopefully you guys caught this as soon as I said it, just like the egg, you know, those three links are three separate pieces and they can exist apart from each other. So this illustration also illustrates uh, tritheism rather than the doctrine of the Trinity. So what examples do work for illustrating the Trinity? Well, one of my favorite examples is simply a triangle. You know, the corners of a triangle are separate, yet they're all united as one shape, and the triangle can't exist, doesn't exist, without one of the corners. If you take, you know, if you take one of the corners away, you're left with just a straight line, I guess. But, you know, this works better than the the other illustrations that we've discussed so far, but uh, I, I realize that there are still some problems with uh, just the triangle. It doesn't illustrate the Trinity perfectly, but it comes pretty close. Uh, another illustration that's helpful and possibly more accurate is to say that the Trinity is like one to the third power. You know, it would be wrong to say that God is like one plus one plus one, because that gives you a total sum of three, uh, which would be tritheism, but it would be accurate to say that God is like one times one times one, because you still get one. One to the third power is still one. So this is one illustration that actually works better than most, or at least it works better than uh, a lot of the illustrations that we've looked at. But, you know, as we close today, we see that the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly, clearly taught in Scripture. God exists as one substance, one nature, and one what? One essence, right? And three persons. Persons are not parts. 
Okay, you with me? Uh, but yet several groups actually deny this concept of the Trinity entirely. And one example of a group that denies the doctrine of the Trinity would be the Mormons. You know, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they don't believe that he's eternal. They don't believe that Jesus and uh, and God the Father are of one substance or of one essence. Rather, they believe that the, the Father created the Son. Lucifer is Jesus' younger brother, according to uh, Mormon. Mormon theology. So thus the the Father and the Son for the Mormons are two separate and distinct substances and, and two separate and distinct essences. However, the Mormons do hold that Jesus is God and that the Holy Spirit is God. But the problem with the Mormon understanding or the Mormon doctrine is that these are three separate gods. Mormonism does maintain a plurality of gods. So that's uh, that's one example of a group that denies the Trinity. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses also deny the doctrine of the Trinity, teaching that Jesus was a divine being that was created by God. Well, Christianity holds that both Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit have coexisted in one substance for all of eternity. And one thing that, uh, that you guys will notice one thing that we'll see as we go along through this study is that when a group or, or when a person denies the most fundamental doctrines, such as the ones that we've covered last week and, and this week, the, the the Trinity, you end up being a cult uh, when, when these fundamental doctrines are denied. Have you ever heard of the group Phillips, Craig, and Dean? Uh, they unfortunately deny the Trinity as well. They belong to a cult group called Oneness Pentecostalism, and they're a cult because they deny the doctrine of the Trinity, which asserts that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all different manifestations of Jesus. So when you look at passages in Scripture where all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned, uh, such as the baptism of Christ, for example, you know, there he is being baptized, and God the Father, uh, you know, gives his approval, and the Holy Spirit of God comes down like a dove on Jesus. But the, the Oneness Pentecostals read this, and they'll argue that these aren't three separate persons interacting. Instead, they argue that it's three manifestations of Jesus and just Jesus, all interacting together simultaneously. In other words, uh, Jesus the Son was being baptized. He was also the Father voicing his approval from heaven, and he was also the Holy Spirit descending upon himself, according to the oneness Pentecostals, uh, all at the same time. And that's just weird, if you ask me. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, because you really have to jump through a lot of hoops uh, hermeneutically, you know, in their interpretations to arrive at this type of conclusion. The only correct, biblically sound, biblically supported understanding of the Trinity is that there is one God who exists as one substance, one nature, one essence, and three persons. So hopefully that clears it up for you guys, and hopefully some of the illustrations that we covered have helped you guys to get a better understanding of that. But this is definitely one of the foundational doctrines of Christianity, and this is something that we can't budge on, that there is one God. Yeah, you guys have already had that drilled in your head. One God, three persons, one essence, one nature, one substance. So anyway... Hopefully, like I said, that clears it up. If you guys have any questions, my email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. I'll be happy to take your questions on this if this isn't clear enough. But uh, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to tune in next week when we cover the next essential doctrine of Christianity. And in the meantime, keep growing closer to Jesus.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.